0: Welcome to the second season of the podcast Rise and Play. We are Sophie Vu and Carla Reyes, your hosts for this special season. In this series, we will focus on portraits of women who have an outstanding career in games. How did they get into games? How did they reach their high position and career? What have been their personal and career choices to get to the level, and why? We want to bring more light to the wide range of career paths available for women in leadership positions in the industry. And we hope this will inspire you to aim for higher in your career too. Let's begin. So today, I'm very excited to have Marina Yarememko with me. And to introduce a bit Marina, Marina is a lead game designer specialized in system design with 10 years of experience in the free-to-play mobile gaming. And currently, she's working at Gamehouse and before worked at King, Social Point and Gameloft, which is an amazing track record as a designer and professional. So hi, Marina,
1: very pleased to have you. How are you today? Hi, thank you for inviting me here. I'm very happy to to talk about the questions that you're going to ask me. I'm very happy. Then let's begin. Let's start with the present. What is the
0: most exciting thing you are working on at the moment that, uh, of course, you can disclose, whether it's
1: professional or personal as a project? So right now, as you said, I'm working at Game House as a lead game designer, and I work on a new game that I cannot yet say what it is about, but I'm very excited about this project. I was, before I joined Game House, I wanted to make something like this. So this uh, aligned with some of my passions and some of the things that I believe the free-to-play gaming should become or where it should go in the future.
0: That sounds very exciting and intriguing. I'm definitely curious about more and uh, especially you in your position as a designer, especially lead designer where you have more influence to maybe start things um, according to your vision and for uh, maybe an unserved audience or unserved market. I'm very uh, intrigued about this so I hope uh, we can discuss about it further. But let's leave it there for now and uh, maybe for a people who don't know so much about what a lead designer does, because I think these days it covers a wide range of responsibility. And what is it for you to be uh, as a lead designer at Game House? What is your
1: main mission? So at Game House, I work for one year and six, seven months. And when I joined, I was the only game designer. So I'm still the only game designer slash system designer. But uh, my responsibilities were covering and are covering kind of a wide range of things. So it was about designing a concept or defining a concept of the game, uh, defining a vision, a game design vision for the game, and then doing pre-production. Now we are in production. So yeah, I went through a lot of stages and as a lead, and as a sole designer, I am uh, basically there in the midst of every important design decision that needs to be taken, kind of a direction, also thinking about long-term. And all the nature of the project, it's it's not no secret because Game House is uh, very focused on uh, experiences with uh, narrative component. So we work very closely with narrative designers as well, which for me was the first experience. I never had this, let's say, the depths of narrative that they have in Game House and other companies. So for me, it's quite an interesting opportunity to learn about it.
0: That's actually interesting that you are... So do I understand correctly that you are a single system designer or just designer,
1: period? like As a general designer? As any kind of game designer, I'm the only one. So I do systems, I do features. Well, features can be systems too. I do Mm, balancing, configuration, you name it, basically, UX.
0: Yeah, wow. So that uh, sounds like a lot uh, for one person. So are you covering uh, the new projects only or also existing games?
1: Uh, Right now I'm working only on this project, so this new game
0: okay that's good so maybe then i have a question uh, based on your previous experience because you worked at company where i know by the structure it's more an army of designers actually uh, doing things and yeah. it's not a bad thing but it's just a different like game loft kings social point as well
1: yeah so
0: what is the main difference like for you now in this position that you didn't have before that you have but also new challenges that you're having being in this solo designer position oh.
1: If I compare with uh, my previous experience at King, where I was also on the lead game design role, but uh, with different set of responsibilities, it seems quite different because there I had a team of several designers, level designers, and game designers collaborating also with UX, and I had a lot of discussions about the growth and defining the growth for for the designers, and establishing the right challenges for them and. Also, I was working hands-on on some features. It was not the plan, because in King, for example, there are managers that are just managing people, and that's their primary focus. And like things that they do hands-on usually is a necessity based on maybe the team being understaffed and things like that. So I really enjoyed that experience in terms of closely working with other designers and actually changing your perspective to, let's say, coaching approach. For me, that was the first time I experienced that and I had good managers that taught me how how to do it. And I really liked some Mm -hmm. evolution that I saw in some of my uh, designers during our work together. So yeah, I can't wait the moment we can start hiring for Game House and I can experience the same.
0: And maybe for your path and decision to exactly from a very well, structured organization with designers, Uh, what motivated you to join an organization where you would just be by yourself, you know, probably smaller with
1: uh, more challenges, you know, of growth? Uh, Yeah, what was the thinking here? Well, it's, it's a good question. I mean, when you join a new company, there are always things that you pursue as your goal, let's say, and there are some things that you compromise on. So I was very motivated by the project originally, and also in King, which is a very big company. They have a lot of processes and some things became, from my perspective, a little bit bureaucratic. Even when you need to design something, it became very, very slow and complicated. So I, I became very tired of it very quickly. And that's why I was, well, I, when I saw this opportunity, when I the opportunity mm-hmm. found me more than I wasn't looking, really, I was very excited. And also the structure is very open here. So in Game House, there is not a lot of these kind of processes over processes over processes. And I, yeah, that was quite exciting. Although there is a downside of this, because everything is so open, <laughs> you need to start defining things. And for a person that comes from a very structured company, for me, it was a little bit of a mm-hmm. shock. First months, I was like, okay, where is this, where is this, where is this? Oh, we don't have that and that. i like, okay, fine. This is not a problem. Mm-hmm. Let's focus on the main task at hand and things will come along. Well, they were coming along, but kind of slowly. I think only right now we have all the things that we really need to be efficient as a team. But yeah. It was interesting. I I don't regret it, but I didn't expect I think this much freedom. Let's say.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling because that's also when uh, mm-hmm. I joined also Voodoo to build my own studio. Uh, it was zero processes that you had to yeah. build basically by yourself, and so you have to <laughs> first build kind of a house a bit before yeah. you get uh, to work, but not too much of a big house. Otherwise, you spend your time just building the you know architecture and not not getting things done. Okay, so then among the challenges as well, then as a designer, which I know as well whether you are by yourself or even in a more structured company. So I have a first question more is uh, because you are on your own and you have to make a lot of decisions, I guess, every day on what kind of feature, what kind of direction, how do you make sure to have confidence in the decision you're making? where well, you don't have this group of designers, of peers, to confront your opinion and for feedback. So how do you emulate that, you know, to question your
1: design decision? So <laughs> to, I have several solutions here. So first, uh, I have a group of people to confront my ideas. You always have a group of people to confront your ideas. So that's not a problem. But the problem for me was, well, for example, we didn't have a PM in the team, and we only recently got uh, a game director that also has a lot of experience there. So we have this kind of uh, more PM approach and perspective, which is also an important challenge for design decisions. And I was also using some... uh, unofficial consultants from from the industry that I know that are designers, game economy designers, and one of them, for example, became my mentor because I wanted to have a very consistent set of sessions. more official mentor, another one is my unofficial mentor. And that really helped me. Of course, it's not the same as having your colleagues and day to day questions and things, but. At least kind of having those two things together, for me, it worked. But I can still say that for some time I, I was struggling. I was struggling to to be kind of effective at this because yeah, things were taking a little bit more time because I didn't have this kind of frequent loop of bouncing ideas with another system designer, for example.
0: Yeah. and uh, It's a valuable point because I don't think you are um, alone in this case where uh, especially for smaller company, more independent companies, often uh, there's just one designer in the team and that's kind of a situation you're facing. And I think it's uh, great that you build for yourself a certain system of uh, peer or feedback or people that can help you spar ideas and question uh, where you're going because design, you know, it's all about uh, iteration and there's not a single truth and you have to test a lot, but you have also to get rid of uh, bad assumptions as well and that sometimes can be done by just discussion without having to develop it all,
1: you know, and, and test it through. Yeah, it's it's really important actually. Especially in a small team when you don't have the luxury of a lot of people and develop a lot of things. The extra challenge to design comes that you need to cut a lot of things. And that can be very painful. And you know, as the owner Maybe if I would be a lead and it would be not my future, it would be less painful, but sometimes, you know, you enter in this kind of situation, I need to, I don't want to, but I need to, and if there is a person that can be, you know, this kind of voice of reason, it really helps, but otherwise I need to put on myself several hats and say, okay, you need to, (laughs) fine, fine. All right. And then also then as a
0: solo designer, I think also this is a challenge for that part, new games and new concepts. What is your approach? Yeah. How do you start? What are your inspirations to get started with new ideas?
1: Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I this is my first game of this scale that I'm working from building from scratch as a lead game designer. I, I did work on new games before, but it was more of an indie project. So I don't think I have a perfect formula yet because you can't nail it from the first try, unless you're brilliant. And well, first thing I try to do what I know, I'm very used to do market analysis and I try to, okay, there was a concept idea, let's say when I joined the team and I saw that there were some nice things and maybe some things that we don't need. And uh, I said, okay, let's take a step back and do market analysis. Where are we aiming in this market space, Uh, where are the competitors, and uh, see what are the good things that they're doing, and where is the value that they're missing on. So we did that. Uh, So, yeah, I, I said I'm working with narrative designers who are also a very important part of kind of design process. And at the beginning, we collaborated a lot. And then we also did an audience analysis, because that was also a missing bit. There were a lot of assumptions about the audience, but there was no concrete study, concrete, well, basically uh, motivators defined, personas defined. So we we did that, and that helped us to kick off and uh, formulate better the concept and then the vision of the game. So these were, I think, important things, and I would do it anytime I start a new game. And then defining basically the scope of, of, the, of the MVP is uh, quite important. And yeah, the process from there is almost like designing a feature in a live game, but if you do multiple <laughs> and you need to prioritize them. So I'm quite used to do prioritization, for example, in, in Social Point, to do this a lot and breaking down things into very, very small things, stories, and basically from their own, yeah, descending to development and art and stuff like that.
0: Okay. So I understand as well that part of this uh, work is not just design, actually. So what you describe is also product management and also producer, Mm -hmm. which is probably great to have as um, extra skills, especially as a lead game designer or if you are the main designer, only designer in a team for new projects. So that's great. And about the audience, because that's also an area that I've been looking into very closely, a general like new concepts, but also even existing games. Are you as a company at Game House into a particular audience or it's like when you talked about audience, it was more, let's explore new audiences or it's more, let's understand our current audience and what can we offer more? Can you elaborate on that? Yeah.
1: So Game House, if you know a little bit their portfolio, they're a female-focused gaming company. So all their games are for a specific, say, bracket of that audience. And we are also working with a female audience, but with a little bit different bracket than the majority of their games. So that's why there was not a lot of expertise in the company. And also, it's very difficult sometimes to design games for the audience that is not exactly your age. So you need to get rid of a lot of assumptions that are typical to... I mean, majority of people from my team, I think, are millennials. And we have very specific stereotypes, very specific mindset. And also, mm-hmm. we're in a specific geo. So we're not, majority of games don't target Spain, right? As their primary geo, so neither are we. So we needed to define mm-hmm. and see what the people from where our target audience is, what is their day to day, the, what are the references for them. And yeah, this took us some time, but I think it was a good, let's say, back, background to start making the game.
0: And I'm curious, maybe uh, because this is typical common mistakes in um, game development, you assume you understand by, I don't know, looking at the demographics or uh, you understand the audience, but you're not because exactly what you describe when you are not, you're, you cannot see it, you cannot imagine it. Do you have an anecdote of something you thought was true? And you discovered, okay, we were really wrong in how we assumed how this audience works, you know.
1: Yeah, there was inking we had when I was working on Bubble Witch 3. For me, maybe I was a bit ignorant. There was Mm -hmm. not a lot of difference. I didn't think that the audience is very different between Candy Crush, for example, and Bubble Witch 3. I thought there is just, it's a little bit different mechanic, but in reality people consider themselves like more skilled and that skill is really important in that game because you need uh, this precision you need uh, to understand a lot of different mechanics and it feels tougher maybe it's not really tougher if we look at the KPIs uh, well the metrics of uh, level design but yeah it was interesting and and then there were some features that just worked better for this audience for example some competitive features they just they were more natural to interact with them than in other uh, switcher games for example so yeah mm-hmm. you you assume that oh it's a casual game probably the audience is exactly the same but that was not true
0: yeah, it's a very good uh, example. And I think you can go very, very granular in the uh, player motivations. Over from the outside, you say, oh, it's puzzle players or they all live in the US and are 45 years old, you know, and a female, which is very mm-hmm. high level. So it's uh, thanks. Uh, it's a very good example. I was working on a bubble shooter and I discovered that actually, that it was very skill-based and there's definitely a motivation of uh, being competent with the skills and not just a brainy, a strate- uh, strategic. Okay. And as you're also looking into market trends when you are starting a new concept, maybe if you're willing to share what are the high level things you see that are intriguing you, that you find fascinating, you know, are, are of interest. I know like there are these crazy things with NFT these days and over mm-hmm. crypto, but... Uh, or in general, like what uh, what are you looking into these days in the trends of the market and design? Yeah,
1: I uh, I would say that I'm not as much maybe yet familiar with NFTs and the system, how it can work in games. So I'm not going to go into that. But I'm usually looking at the top charts per, uh, per geo. So, well, the most interesting ones are US or worldwide. And uh, although it's true that worldwide, there are a lot of... Uh, games from Asian countries that are uh, huge there, but they still don't make it uh, as big in the US. But, and, and it was, I think, true maybe three, uh, four years ago, but then recently there are more and more of them that can uh, yeah, that can be really successful. Like, for example, Genshin Impact was a very big success, and I played for months and months, and it was so nice. I always feel that the, their story approach is still not the best. It's not very adapted maybe to the market, but their quality. So it's just production quality is amazing. The way how they treat free to play um, is a bit different as well from uh, Western companies. So it's uh, a lot of learnings there as well, especially in RPG space. So yeah, I think uh, there is like one game that right now is booming in China, Harry Potter Magic awakened, I think. And I expect it will be really successful in the US as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, let's see how it scales, because you never know. And I know that there is Diablo Immortal, that I played Alpha, and I'm such a big fan Mm -hmm. of Diablo. So yeah, I think that they already started understanding the formula that can work on the West. And that's very impressive, because I think for companies that are in the West and they want to develop these kind of big RPG games, it's a huge learning opportunity. So that's one thing, since before I was more focused on casual. So some things that I started seeing in casual and we also tried in King is taking features from different genres and adapting them to a more casual audience. And midcore was one of the things where we're looking and some of the features. They were well, they were presented in a very, very casual way, but it was still midcore in the nature and it worked pretty well with the audience. And recently, I think uh, there well, there is a need to re- maybe remove this uh, oversaturation in switchers, because I think there is only that much you can do with it. I mean, of course, there is like a new polished version version the Royal Match, but for example, the the merge the mergers that you also have one, sorry, is something that becomes more and more popular to try out and maybe do different themes around it, different metas and people love it so it feels kind of fresh that the market also is evolving and i think it's pretty interesting where it can lead and yeah i think these were the the main two that i wanted to highlight
0: yeah uh, very insightful thanks and it's interesting in the end uh that your interests lean towards uh more mid-core games like personal interest uh, and i was wondering like uh from all these. um learnings or things you observe? Are there things that you manage to translate more into your work as a designer and especially for casual games, like
1: particularly for the games you're making at Gamehouse? There are some things that can be translated, but it takes a lot of iterations to make sure that what you're doing actually fits the audience and not your personal preferences. So yeah, I just yeah. know some features from Midcore that systematically work well. And Game of Thrones, I think, was a factory of uh, translating a lot of these features in their games, like, a while ago. And now some games, especially casual, are rediscovering it, you know, like, when the leaderboards appeared in Match 3. In Game of the, it was already done, like, years ago. It was very funny for me to see it, but we can see that these things work. And, like, clan's feature, team's feature, was also something, I don't know, two, three years ago was introduced in players' games and then. Everybody was so excited. Yeah, I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Not so new, but yeah. It's just, uh, there is a right time, I think. And the audience is maturing because we know female audience is a little bit younger audience than the male audience in the gaming space. So it's just like, okay, they're ready. So let's do it.
0: Okay, so then let's take a step back more in your journey as well, and your career as a designer. Because uh, we've known each other, actually, uh, we were counting the other day a decade uh, back in the days of uh, Gameloft and uh, you were a designer in Karakiv so um, I wanted maybe to trace back like kind of your journey and your choices, professional choices like first yeah what opportunity appeared to you or what decision you made to uh, start your career abroad and I think after that you joined Social point, if I'm correct. Yes. So maybe if you can walk us through, like, where were you at that point and why, you know, and uh, what kind of opportunity appeared to you?
1: Yeah. So when I was in in Game Loft, I worked in some smaller companies in Ukraine, too. But, uh, yeah, most of my experience was in Game Loft. Basically, there, the circumstances were that uh, all the games they were working on at the time when I was there were live games. And I tried, because, well... I was a junior when I joined so I wanted to learn as much as possible and then I tried different genres so some games for kids audience for female audience for male audience racing games well and it was very interesting and very diverse experience I had a lot of uh, great learnings from there but at some point I felt I felt stuck it's not that I wasn't learning from the genres but I think I just wanted more experienced people around me and since in Ukraine, we don't really have schools, universities about design, not design, game development. People learn from their work, basically. And you can learn, of course, up to a point, but then top, And also at that time, there were not a lot of companies in general, so people weren't moving between the companies. So it was like kind of the same experience that was there for a while and all that I needed more. And that's why uh, I started looking for opportunities abroad. Spain wasn't uh, my only option, but yeah, Social Point has very successful two games, Dragon City and Monster Legends, and that was very exciting for me. And at that time, I think I didn't really have preference for midcore that much, but it was very interesting also when I had interviews with a um, couple of designers from the studio, I really clicked with them, and yeah, I, just, I don't know, it just, it just worked, you know, when you find the, the right opportunity, everything goes very smoothly, and when I joined, yeah, it was a very big cultural shock for me, because it's so, so different, the mentality in Ukraine from, well, from Spain, can't compare it to every country in Europe, but from Spain, it was very different, so I was very excited, but at the mm-hmm. end, same time, very stressed. So I think first year, I was very stressed (laughs) about everything. I wanted to make it work. I wanted to blend in. And being I I was still actually the only female game designer when I joined. I was actually surprised. I thought maybe in Europe that's going to be different, but no. And that also added some extra discomfort for me because person with different mentality uh, not necessarily knowing the culture very well and uh, yeah it took me some time to adapt but when i did i i'm pretty happy that i made this choice and well now i'm not in social point anymore but uh, have uh, great memories from that time
0: yeah thanks for sharing maybe i'm interested here to uh, get a bit further into this the integration challenges because I think they're real especially when you move abroad I think first time you leave your native country and you get into a new culture plus a culture of a company and then on top of that the challenge of being the only female designer which makes you stand out in a way so could you elaborate maybe some situations or concrete challenges that uh, you know where it was difficult and how you overcame this with time,
1: you know your findings? Yeah, there was one very mm, silly thing at the beginning. For example, in Ukraine, we're not that, let's say, a personal space is really important. So in Spain, it's not exactly like that. And there are some people that really like... Mm, physical contact like putting a hand on your shoulder or something but for me it's so i i'm so not used to this so i was almost i was almost jumping in this moment it felt and it also felt weird to me because it was mostly guys because i was mostly working with guys so it was double weird and for some time i was really not mm-hmm. comfortable with this and i was trying to explain but it was hard because um well the yeah, majority of people are local I think now I am fine and it's I know that this is just completely innocent, friendly gesture and they don't even think about it. So it's not a problem. So that was one thing that I had to adapt to. Another thing I felt a little bit um, and well, I felt like an outsider, I think, during all these coffee breaks, lunch times, because A lot of things were just like, or a lot of references were so different for me that I didn't watch these TV shows or I didn't watch, I didn't play these games because like people here played them and it was like a community thing and they could talk about it hours and hours. And I was, okay, (laughs) I don't know what to add to the table. So I started researching things. I started trying to understand better what the references and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. I can say I'm halfway through learning about spanish politics as well because it's also a very important topic for them but i knew nothing and uh, yeah it's it's a lot of things that you need to understand and well they need to give you time as well because it's unfair if people ex- expect from a person that just moved to your country to know all of these i wasn't always lucky maybe with was how people saw this relationship working but uh, yeah i think now i'm more much more integrated that's a lot
0: of challenges and uh, resilience to go through this. And it's impressive yeah. that you just did what you had to do to integrate. And, uh, and years after you were at King and like still in a Spanish company. So, yeah, like great work there. It's not easy. Uh, and I, I hope it makes people aware that in the future when they also onboard new people in their uh, culture. That, uh, challenges that they may not see and did you have also to uh, learn Spanish because I know that many of his companies as well where the common language is Spanish so are you fluent now in Spanish? No I'm not
1: fluent but I'm uh, uh, but you had to speak yeah again. but at work I'm trying to not speak Spanish because I write all the documentation mm-hmm. in English and it's very confusing it's that if I need to switch back and forth So though outside I'm trying to speak Spanish where I can and there are some things here that don't just people don't speak in administration in English so I have to I had to learn and I'm doing classes constantly so yeah it's it's okay.
0: Okay yeah part of a part of the deal as well of living abroad. And then on your journey, because after you join King as well and also get the position as a lead game designer here, can you walk us through of how, so you started, like you said, as a junior in Kharkiv and I guess moving from company to another, mm-hmm. you get also uh, higher in title, seniority. So how, how did that happen for you? Was it internal
1: promotion? Did you go for it? To share a bit with the audience. Yeah, for me, it was an internal promotion. So when I started in King, I was senior game designer and I was working in a specific setup. So it was a team that was working with the remote uh, core teams. So we were supporting them and developing features for them. And thanks to, for example, I was working with Farm Hero Saga that are in London And they didn't have a lead game designer at the time, or any game designer, which for me was very interesting. So I was in the remote unit, but they were also collaborating with me and asking me for some consultancy-like work as I would be their game designer. And the way how we established our relationship really, um, I think, helped the management of Barcelona to see that. Well, yeah, I can work in in the lead role. Of course, it was not one-to-one comparison because the team was remote. And yeah, well, but they saw this, I guess, op- opportunity to put me in the lead role and they needed the a lead in bubble history. And basically, I was very excited. So it just uh, stars aligned.
0: Okay. So I understand that here it was suggested to you this promotion, but you didn't ask for it? Yeah,
1: I didn't ask. I'm not very good, I think, yet at asking for promotions. I Myself, I I feel that I should serve it and um, I don't need to ask for it. It should be very clear. But I know that it's not always like that. You don't always get this clarity from the management perspective. So, yeah, I think it's healthy if you can bring yourself to ask. But I think you should be also realistic about your capacity because I know people that are Mm -hmm. asking about being lead but they don't. They really misjudged their capability of doing this because it's a challenging job.
0: Mm-hmm. And When you got your
1: promotion, did you
0: then uh, f- feel you deserved it, and that was uh, you were ready and you had, you know, the capability in that case?
1: Yeah, I felt that I was working really hard at that moment, and that uh, I could do it. And I was really excited to learn all the challenges that come with it. Yeah, great. That's
0: awesome. And then also, you mentioned in your experience that you uh, unfortunately were a single female designer. I guess at King uh, it happened less because I know there's big efforts to have uh, more diversity in the craft teams. But what are your observations or opinions? Why is that so difficult to have, well, women in uh, designer positions or even high, you know, like a uh, position like yours?
1: Yeah. Well, I see that the problem comes from. Not a lot of advertisement, I think, of uh, this kind of role to people that are deciding, okay, what are they gonna do in their career? So not a lot of people enter naturally the game, the game space that are women. And either it's uh, there are a lot of female artists, for example, so we can see that there is more maybe balance there. But design is not a very visible role somehow. And probably in universities, they're not really speaking a lot about this, or maybe not even for mobile space that much. So that's a problem, clearly. And for example, King, why they were so fortunate is that they also have certain programs that they help interns. They do program, I think it's uh, you need to win an internship. And they bring you to GTC, and it's it was I think only for female interns, yeah. So there were several years of uh, well female interns, and they were I don't know if they're for all roles or very specific roles, but I remember we had level designers entering from this internship, uh, designers I think as well, and that was pretty awesome because yeah, I mean this is a dream. <laughs> if I would have had this opportunity. When I was a junior, this would be just like a golden ticket. And King is really an awesome company to start as well. So, yeah. But other companies don't do that. And, yeah, it's just that they hope that magically these uh, female uh, uh, designers will just create themselves. It doesn't necessarily happen. For me, it happened because, I know, I was passionate about games and I had this opportunity in a small company. And that's it. So that that was it, but I didn't know anybody else who were in the same situation. So,
0: mm. yeah, you need to get started somewhere, and there are more rare, I would say, profile like yours, women interested in the uh, first of all games design, and or it's not like a career path that is that visible yet. And you were saying as well that are you hiring at the moment? Are you trying to hire more designers?
1: Uh, well, we are not hiring at this moment but we will be hiring next year so yeah i'm preparing for for this and building all the necessary job descriptions and tests and stuff like that
0: okay so then uh, you don't know yet what are your f- challenges to hire in this position yet because you haven't
1: tried before uh, i tried in king yeah and we had so basically We had a bit of a junior role, I would say. Well, it was more a mid-level design role that we needed to fill in because one person left in my team. And I was doing interviews. I was checking their tests, And uh, there was no go applying, (laughs) I can tell you. so. And it's King, which is a very visible company by default. It's very hard, though. It, it, It was very hard. I mean, there were great, great people applying. It's just... I see the reality. It's mm. yeah, it's not super visible for some for some reason this role.
0: Yeah, I have uh, had the same challenges, and uh, the only solution I have found so far about this was really to be super proactive in sourcing in any way possible, going on forums, uh, Discord channels, LinkedIn, and just be <laughs> contact them boldly and say, "Hey, uh, but." Uh, yeah, because it's, there's a whole community of uh, young designers, maybe not in the free-to-play mobile space, and they're uh, not either interested or aware, uh, but it's uh, a lot of work to find at least them or the ones who want to uh, start a position. Uh, all right, and then more reflection also back on your journey and career as a designer. So if you look uh, back at yourself 10 years ago when uh, in Kharkiv, What is it that you would tell to your younger
1: self, you know, with what you know
0: today, especially in your path as a designer?
1: Well, I would tell myself to believe in myself because at that time I had a very low self-confidence. And that happens a lot with junior people in general, but also I think being kind of female game designer to sort of stand out. And some things don't always make you feel let's say, in the right place. So, yeah, that was affecting my confidence quite a lot. And if I would, be, would have been more confident, I think I would have known that I can also ask. For example, I was feeling blocked and, and, and lost at one point. So, if I would uh, have known that I could ask for uh, to my manager, okay, I, I feel like that. Can you please help me to build my growth path and work with me in that? And I somehow didn't feel that this was my place to do it, or it was not a very non-practice to me, at least. So yeah, that's why I also kind of changed the company at the time, but maybe it could have been different. So that, that would be my main advice.
0: Yeah, asking for help is really hard, especially when you are in a place where you've you feel like a, you should just figure it out by yourself but the reality is like you never have to be alone you should not
1: yeah but it's uh, actually there is a bit of cultural thing because we were taught from school that failure is very bad admitting failure is very bad so a lot of things you hold to yourself and you try to figure out on your own because you think that admitting your weakness maybe it's a failure and that is going to be well punished I don't know this yeah there will be some kind of consequence to that and that's really unhealthy (laughs) and I really hope that my country can evolve past this eventually and whenever I see this uh, here in my current experience where I gained more confidence, if people expect me to succeed 100%, this is also unhealthy and I'm uh, trying to kind of break this stigma a little bit.
0: Yeah, this is really good. Uh, I think, yeah, we are definitely a lot influenced by this culture of... It's not perfection but performance you know and uh, there's many PR stories about the companies that exit that success story and then it just makes you feel very uncomfortable of not succeeding and uh, being a failure yeah. so I agree that uh, there's definitely um, expectation to change a lot in the perceptions of these days um then what helps you in the your own path to
1: Build more of his confidence through your journey. I think I was more, very fortunate with the people around me. Even when I didn't believe in myself, they were, they did, <laughs> and they were constantly telling me this. Of course, you can do it. You are very talented, smart, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And at one point, it starts working, and and you see also the results that you're bringing in your project. Yeah, and this loop kind of helped me and now I don't necessarily need a lot of these well external support as much as I needed when I moved here for example and also learning for me I mean the mentality of learning that I'm trying to keep as much as I can learning applying best practices and seeing how they work uh, also build my my confidence because I gain more experience in certain things and I can help my projects quite a lot by, by having this kind of experience. So it builds my confidence as a professional. And I think another thing that helped to build my confidence, for example, in King, they are focusing a lot on building their culture. And culture is basically how you treat people and i saw what is good and in some other places i saw what is not so good and i felt i was right let's say (laughs) well before that i thought this is not right and i just didn't have let's say proof or i didn't see how certain things could work in the company big company and it built my confidence that i can say okay no this is not a good approach this is not Mm -hmm. sustainable If you want this team to last long, for example, this is uh, maybe an unfair treatment. And and this is also an important thing that some teams lose because they think, I don't know, this KPI is important and you need to squeeze your maximum and you squeeze your team. So basically, short-term you're gaining, but long-term you're losing. And if I see certain things happening, I would not be shying away from expressing it to people in charge of the team, I mean, and before I was really, really shy, but I saw that certain things didn't work and the consequences, used people and things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that
0: leads kind of to my um, last question here, as uh, maybe in the audience, there are people who are more in the, not senior yet, more junior intermediate uh, design position, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe a bit in the similar place. What is the main advice you give to them to overcome that or just, you know, uh, grow further in their path? Yeah, I think
1: the main thing that they need to think about is what do they want and why do they want it? Because for me, being a lead was not my final goal necessarily. It's just that my path was my my goal. I wanted to learn certain things in certain moment, wanted to have a very solid experience in live games, different genres. And now I want to have solid experience in new games, new genres, and that's what sort of made me, let's say, uh, kind of well established uh, my my level. But that was more of a consequence. So if they just want to be a lead or a director for the sake of it, I don't think this is going to work because they need to understand exactly what 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 they will have to do there. Yeah. So my my advice is that define what you want, define why do you want it. Don't lie to yourself. I think it's very important to be honest with yourself, Uh, be important. Be straight with what will make you happy in your career long-term and don't focus on only the next step, like try to think, okay, I'm here for a journey and okay, how do I want this journey to evolve? So that really helped me. And I also evaluate when I hire people, for example, for certain roles, I evaluate them with these kind of questions. If I see that they don't know why do they want this position, this is not a very good sign. Or if their position of, of if their motivation is just I want money, I want just mm-hmm. the role, I want just the title, I want to show it and link it in, you know, this is definitely a no go for me because I want people that just gives their give their maximum to the project and really bring value
0: yeah very wise advice thanks all right so then to close the discussion today i have uh, at last three rapid fire questions so what is the first
1: thing you think of when you wake up my my project (laughs) i'm embarrassed but these days is my project yes okay and what is the last thing you think of when you go to bed well right now it's Uh, diablo resurrect resurrected because i played a lot (laughs) (laughs) nice
0: and my last question the one sentence or word you tell yourself in difficult moments of life like your motto
1: you can do it don't rush things
0: all right well, that was it for today, Marina. Thanks a lot for sharing your experience, vision also of the market, games, and even uh, your situation right now at Game House with uh, your challenges. I hope that the audience can take away a lot of things here, of, you know, the kind of role you, uh, you're having as a designer and lead game designer.
1: So thanks. Thank you. I hope it will inspire more women to get into the role. And how uh, can they
0: contact you if they would like to learn from you? And you know,
1: yeah, uh, LinkedIn is a perfect space, I check it quite often, so feel free.
0: All right, Well, uh, have a great rest of the day and uh, take care, Thank Marina. You. Thanks for listening to this new episode of Rise and Plague podcast. If you enjoyed the content and want to support what we're doing, rate and review the podcast, spread the word about it. If you'd like to contribute to the change too, reach out to me on LinkedIn for a collaboration. You'll find all the rest of the content on riseandplay.io, including my free masterclass on conscious leadership. Until the next time!